appreciate that. That's fantastic. <laughs> but it's my other life, right? <laughs> Actually, no, I do want to uh, uh, thank you all for your prayers and uh, consideration and your help and your, all the things that you do to, to make our lives, Lisa and mine and our families, richer, fuller, and more complete. And that's done with your prayers and your help and all that. And our hearts go out to you. So thank you very much. Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and let's turn to the book of Mark. Uh, Mark chapter 9. And we'll begin reading at verse 14 today. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. Um, this is the follow-up, if you will, to... to to the uh, Mount of Transfiguration in the signs of uh, how Jesus literally, his countenance, his exterior was shown to them for him as being God. The glory that literally shone from him. And I would like to just read verse 7 as, maybe we should just start, no that, that's okay. Uh, let, let's start in verse 14 just like we said, we'll come back to that in a moment. Verse 14, this is coming off the mountain, if you will, and here he comes down to the valley. Verse 14, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples, and they could not cast him out, and they, sh and they could not. And he answered, answereth him, and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. He fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came upon him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore, and came out of him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. May God add a special blessing to the reading of his word. And let's just pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father, we are here knowing you are in our midst. Father, thank you for caring enough to give us your word. Thank you, Father, for loving us enough that Jesus came to this earth, walked and talked and shared and cared for 33 years, and then ultimately gave himself, his blood was spilt, his body was rent and torn for the sins of the world. 
the power that was unleashed in his death finished everything that mankind had fouled up. Father, we're here today with joy and adoration because of what you accomplished in your love. Uh, Father, we are, these moments are yours to speak to us through the Holy Spirit, which we would ask would be exclusively our teacher today. Take your word, Father, and take it to the innermost parts of our being. Allow us to see you more clear than ever before. Humble us, make us what you want us to be, moment by moment, because we know you're capable of making us like Jesus. That's your goal. May we, re may we be responsive to you in that regard. Thank you now for all of these things. We pray it and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, again, uh, this is an interesting setup for actually what I think I'm right, but I won't, I won't guarantee it. There's probably uh, a series, well, there is, there's a series of lessons or teachings that Jesus is going to unfold. And remember, we, if, if we go back a couple of weeks, this crescendo, this climax, if you will, the continental divide of a change in ministry. Um, his first two to two and a half years were surrounding the crowds and following. He was sharing the message, allowing them to see who he was through his signs, through his miracles, through all of his compassion. And we'll find that again today. It's really interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that in a moment. But his power was unleashed through compassion for people. God provided Jesus Christ to die for our sins, literally out of his love and compassion, God our Father. It's amazing to me how much God does love us. I can't comprehend it. You can't comprehend it. But we know God loves us enough to send his very own son to die for us. And there's a point at which all of a sudden, after the Bread of Life seminar, if you will, no one wanted any more of that. Because Jesus was speaking on a spiritual level. They wanted him to provide physical bread. And it was like that part of the journey, that part of Jesus' teaching now is behind him. He's now turning his attention to the disciples. He doesn't have very many months left. He's on his road, if you will, to Jerusalem. And he's spending private moments trying to get them to understand the plan. Now, he doesn't tell them about the plan until they know who he is as a person. And Peter, remember, a couple of weeks ago, he got that right. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. But he didn't have the plan right. Because they saw the Messiah as this victor, this king that would rule and reign over the entire world. And Israel would once and for, for all times defeat their enemies. It sounds great. That day's coming. But this is the first coming. And he began to teach them. Peter went from a mountain high as being called the rock. That saying that he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That statement, that foundation, that truth, that rock of which the church would be founded on. And literally within seconds, it would seem, he became a stumbling block. He became called by Jesus Christ himself, get behind me, Satan. The plan that you perceive without me dying, without me suffering, without me doing everything necessary to accomplish sin being conquered once and for all is literally the plan of Satan. 
a shortcut. Can you imagine if Jesus would have just came and talked and walked and taught like most of the world wants us to believe, that he was not a savior, he was just a teacher, he was a rabbi, he was a good guy. He was cruelly killed by the Romans. What if that would have just, ha if that's all that would have happened? No, we would have missed it all. That's a shortcut. Or what if Jesus Christ would have just walked and talked and taught and left? That would have been a shortcut. And we'd be here today. You wouldn't be here today. If you were a smart person, you would not be here today because Jesus would not have died for your sins, nor would you have known that he rose from the dead. You could just as well call yourself a Buddhist, a Hare Krishna. Anyway, is that what they call those people? Follower of Hare Krishna? But you know what? The common denominator of whoever you're following, if you are following anything other than Jesus Christ, anything other than the biblical record of the Bible, that Jesus Christ is God and God's Son, God incarnate, deity. If you see him as any other way, you are following a false religion, a cult, and its founder is in the ground. If you cannot conquer death, please do not talk to me about joining you. You need to join us because Jesus conquered everything necessary. Next week, I think it's next week, isn't it? Is next week Resurrection Sunday? Wow, I mean, right? Crazy. Where did this year go? Okay, and you're saying, where are you going with this? I, I'm not sure right now. I'm just, just gathering myself up. <laughs> so the disciples got the wrong plan, and you know the best way to do that is to show Jesus Christ from God's point of view, who he really is, and that is he's God. And they went to this mountain, which is probably Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet. If it is, I'm not positive, but it would seem likely if there was Caesarea Philippi, that's the nearest high peak. And he took his three, the inside three, Peter, James, and John. They go to the top of the mountain to pray. And imagine this, but those three fall asleep. <laughs> it's kind of in their nature. It's in their DNA, isn't it? I think that actually makes a lot of sense because, honestly, you know where we become the most strong, the most powerful, the most... I mean, the most encouraged, the most willing, well, I'm going to add to that. Do you know what it is when we're praying? When we're praying. If Satan can distract us, if he can distort us, if he can take us away from that prosperous time of praying, we become weak. The disciples are key examples of that, our message today. But let's keep rolling as we're, as we're, as we're getting this highlight of their seeing the Savior, Jesus Christ, the one they named right, and then God appears in this cloud, and he says two words that really stick out. Actually, I'll, maybe I'll paraphrase. Listen to him. <laughs> That's really good advice. So what are we going to do? We're going to have lesson one today. They come off the mountain, and they arrive at a place where we've read the, we've read the narrative. There's a group of people, a large crowd, in essence, that are gathered around someone and somebody. And here comes Jesus and the, and the other three disciples. So there's nine disciples left that didn't go up in the mountain. Nine disciples that, and if we remember correctly, there was actually, Jesus told the disciples to go out and heal and to cast out demons. And that's in Luke chapter 6. So, picking that up, let's just unfold this. This is going to be teaching moments, teaching opportunity, for Jesus to describe for them when his absence, that's what I want you to keep, this is what we don't normally do when we talk about this passage, we pull it out, what is going to happen in just a few months is everything they've been walking by, everything they've been seeing, they've been talking, they've been taught by, every single moment that they've been walking with Jesus Christ for, I think, up to two and a half years, he's been with them. 
How would you like to take Jesus with you tomorrow morning as you go to work? You know where I'm going, right? It'd be fantastic. Every time that every time a problem, a situation, someone that would needed to be healed, a demoniac, a rough wild sea, guess who was with the disciples? Jesus. And what happened if he wasn't? Remember, he was not in the boat. They freaked out. Fear. Now, we've talked about this numerous times over the last number of years. Faith dispels fear. If you have fear, you need faith. That's why in the middle of the night many times, as you know, are you kind of like that? In the middle of the night, it's dark. And all of these things, these concerns, these problems, these, and they get bigger at night. Have you know, you know, you talk about the boogeyman? It's like that. Those little kids, you know, they like to have their father, right? Or their, or their mother. And they'll sometimes, when they're just afraid, where do they go? They go to the place that they know they can be loved and trusted, that they can trust. That's not new information, is it? Okay? You know, we're much the same way. For me, in the depths of the night, I've been, even this week, prior to the sale, I don't have to tell you about the drought. Uh, most of our bulls would go from here, uh, if you draw a line from here to Texas, and to the West Coast. It's unbelievably dry. So guess what? You don't need very many bulls if you don't know if you're going to have cows. We just assume they buy bulls without cows. <laughs> but you know better than that. So all of that weighs on you. And you know what? Your lives and your problems and your situations, you know what? They get bigger. What are you lacking if you're fearful? Faith. This is a lesson about faith. This is a lesson that Jesus is going to show them now. You must do what I'm asking you to do, and that is to walk and live by faith. Let's look at some examples before we go any further, actually. Uh, these, are, these are people that you know from the Scriptures. Let's just dive into Numbers chapter 13. And there's numerous others. We could actually, uh, normally we'd go to Hebrews chapter 11, but I just want to just dive into the Old Testament. You can write down... Uh, well, New and Old Testament for that matter. But let's go to Numbers chapter 13 and tell me what made this man say this. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 30. The Bible is not being cooperative. And, and before you read that, if you think about it, you know that there's 12 spies that went and they were to seek out the land. They were supposed to spy out the land. Now, God, what, what, what had God said to the Israelites? It's your land. That's exactly right. Go in and take it because I have given it to you. That's a statement. That's a promise. And you respond by saying, they're so big and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And they're tougher and they're more of them. And ay 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 right? That's a little bit of paraphrasing. It's not, you don't read that. But isn't it true? Those enemies became bigger. The more they thought about it, the more they pronounced, actually, those 12 spies, there was 10 to 2. That's why a democracy, anybody tells me a democracy is right? Could be. That was 10 to 2. How obvious is that? And it was wrong. If God's not in the majority, it's wrong. That's what's wrong with our country today. One of them. I'm not even going to get down that trail. Majorities mean nothing if God's not in it. But we have two. Two guys took, took, took a side and they said this. Here's one of them. Numbers chapter 13, verse 30, he said, And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. What do you call that? Faith. Faith. Could you see it? No. 
No, you can't, you can't, you can't tangibly reach out and grab it. And see, this is what the disciples have to learn now, because Jesus, their source of power, is going to leave them. That's part of the plan. How will they react in his absence? What a great place to start. In fact, um, just for a moment, just, just, just a little nugget or a segment. Um, these lessons that Jesus will go through prior to his coming to Passion Week, he's the last week of his life, literally has 10 unfolding lessons. This is the first one. It's the power of faith. Guess what he ends with? I think it's going to be like lesson 10. Faith. <laughs> he begins and he ends with faith. Isn't that what we need today? More than ever. More than ever. Let's take another one. Here's a, here's a guy that you know quite a bit about. Let's go to Job. Job chapter 13. Another 13er. Job chapter 13, verse 15. I won't even have to, I don't even have to unfold for you what happened to Job. Difficulties at every level. His family. His, his, uh, his wealth. All of those things. He says this, in verse, and we're just diving in. I understand that. Uh, Job chapter 13, verse 15. He says this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. What said that? Who, what, what is that? What does that mean? What is that? That's faith. That's faith. He's reaching out in faith. Let's go to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Remember the three guys? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. They're, in, they're about to be thrown into a furnace. In fact, he's made it very carefully. He's furious, King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to throw you in there. And what God is going to deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16, we'll start there. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O King Nebuch I'm sorry, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. It doesn't matter about you, sir. Verse 17, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And you know what, what made them say that? Faith. 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 Let's go to Luke chapter 7. We've been studying Mark. Luke chapter 7, verse 50. You remember the woman that had been caught in adultery? And they're all gone. And then in verse 50 he says, again, I'm just picking into a verse, but showing this. He said to the woman, thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. How about Noah? What kept you building an ark for a hundred plus years? Faith. How many times do you think he got discouraged on a Monday morning? looking outside, and it's unfinished, for the hundredth year. How much rain had they had? Zero. How many floods have they experienced? Zero. You know what he experienced? A flood of wrath and of just onslaught of, I'm going to just say digging and persecution, if you will, from those that said, you're what? What kept him going? Faith. What keeps you going when it's tough? Faith. Faith is a gift. It literally is a gift. Let's turn to that verse for a moment. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. You're saved by grace, it says in verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Think of that. The faith that you've experienced to trust in Jesus Christ literally is, is a gift in itself. Let's go back to Mark. Actually, let's not do that. Let's, let's do a little more of that. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, Paul encourages us to walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. <laughs> Literally, the disciples now are making this transition. This is what Jesus Christ is wanting to teach them, especially right now, is I'm going to be leaving. That's part of the plan. God the Father has just spoken. I'm going to tell you, did they think they got that right? Here's this cloud, and he speaks, and he says, listen to him. Listen to him. He's going to show them, to tell them, to, to uh, teach them how to live by faith. Now, it's not a blind faith. That's oftentimes how the world sees a Christian's faith, is it's a blind faith. But no, it's based on evidence. I, I was thinking of the, uh, just thinking of this, the, the anchor is the Scripture. That's the anchor for our faith. But let, think of the disciples for a moment. What made them so strong later in life? Now, they, were, they really saw this plan of them just going into the kingdom. We've talked about that a lot of times. But what was it that literally put them on the edge of, on a pathway to living by faith? Uh, all of those Outside of John, uh, the Apostle John, he, he died on the Isle of Patmos in isolation. The rest of them literally died in life, uh, the death of a martyr. What did that? Faith. But you know what? They had just a little faith. This is really key. Remember that mustard seed? I was going to wait for this later, but it seems appropriate. In Matthew chapter 17, which is a cross-reference to this passage, it talks about if you, had this, if you had the faith the size of a mustard seed. What do you know about a mustard seed? Very small. In fact, in, in that part of the world, it would have been the smallest seed known at that time. I know for myself, <laughs> there's a lot of small seeds that are nasty little weeds that turn into, what do they turn into? Big weeds. It's not the size of the faith that he's literally talking about. He talked about that the mustard seed turns into something else. What? Into literally the size of a tree. You know what? That little bit of faith that God gives to you, when you persevere and you're persistent in prayer, guess what? It grows, and it grows, and it grows, and it grows. It's not literally, as we look at this, having the size of a mustard seed and faith for, to move mountains. That was another thing that Jesus had talked about. Or all kinds of large things to be done. It's the matter that the access point to that, because everybody has different amounts of faith. In fact, we're going to look today to a man that got this miracle done in his son that didn't have a lot of faith. There's no such thing as perfect faith in the human world. But there's sufficient faith. Sufficient faith. But we, our call is to take that small amount of faith and allow it to grow. It's access through prayer. Let's go back to Mark. I'm in Luke. How did I get back there? Mark chapter 9 and verse 14. He came to his disciples, that would be the other nine. He saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes were questioning with them or arguing. They were disputing. They were debating. You could see this fervor of, of attitudes and, and just a lot of anguish going on, and Jesus shows up. And they all knew who Jesus was, verse 15. All of the people, they beheld him, they were greatly amazed, and they ran to him and saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you questioning them about? It was like a face-off, if you will. You had the scribes. What do we know about the scribes? They didn't like Jesus much. He was actually pushing. He was kinking their style. He was really provoking them because he was in their system. 
And they didn't like where it was going. He was actually telling them they needed to get a heart change. A scribe? A religious leader? A Pharisee? Us? We need... No, no, no. This, is, this guy needs to go. But he asked them, what are you, what are you uh, debating? What are you arguing with the disciples over? And no one would answer. The disciples didn't answer either. So now you have these two people who are so engaged arguing over stuff. Isn't it amazing how sometimes we, we lose focus on what's really important. We get tied into these stupid debates and arguments that accomplish nothing. Do you know what's happening to the son that is now got a demon in him? What's happening? Demon's still there. Who's winning this game right now? Satan is. The scribes are on his team have sucked the disciples out of focusing on prayer and the Savior, and they're caught up in a little game of arguing with one another. Fantastic! The enemy wins. That goes on today. Take your eyes off the truth. Take your eyes off of really doing what needs to be done, and the enemy wins. The disciples, I'm sure, are embarrassed, aren't they? In fact, we find out, finally, here comes the one guy that says, I'll tell you what's going on. Who's that? The father that brought this boy that has been captured by a demon. He says, let me tell you. Verse 17, one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto you my son. He came coming to, to, to the master, coming to Jesus. He no doubt had heard about the fact that Jesus Christ had been able to cast out demons and to heal those that were sick. And he said, which hath a dumb spirit. Now, he also, if, if you go down to verse 25, you will find that it's not only dumb, not a mute, not being able to speak, but also a deaf. In fact, Jesus says, thou deaf and dumb and deaf spirit. Verse 18, wheresoever he taketh him, this demon, this spirit, he teareth him and he foameth and gnashes with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. So how are the disciples doing right now? They feel like failures. Where do you think the scribes enter in? <laughs> oh, that was a show. Did you guys, hey, did you guys see this? This is Jesus' disciples. And they said, demon, whatever they said, in the name of Jesus, we cast you out. Nothing happened. Um, in the name of Jesus... Nothing happened. Did they do it three times? I don't know. But it's obviously failed. They didn't get it done. So you can just see this happening. And as soon as they're taken out of the game and the scribes come up and want to point fingers at how they're so not ready. And the disciples, of course, they got personal. Guess who's left to the side? Is this, this demon-possessed boy? He's left there. Jesus responds, verse 19, He answereth them and saith, Oh, faithless generation. Whoa. Oh is not a way to greet someone. <laughs> when there's oh, faithless generation, there's a message there. <laughs> Who's he speaking to? Literally the disciples. Now, is it a faithless generation of which? Of course it is. But who's the one? In fact, he gives it away in the next session. He says, how long shall I be with you? I've been with you for two and a half years, buddy. You're not getting this, are you? Again, where was Jesus? And the, the nine were participating in this 
event, so to speak. Jesus wasn't there. He wasn't there. And then he said, bring him unto me. Bring him unto me. Verse 20, they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, he being the demon, straightway the spirit tore him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. It would almost be like this demon has been trying to destroy and literally kill this young boy from, for a very long time. We'll talk about it in just a second. Um, I don't know how many, how many concussions one would have to, to take to literally to where your brain is not working at all. This has to be close. You can tell that he has full control over this young man, just beating him. Taking full control. I can't even imagine it. And then verse 21. This is really weird. This is totally weird. Jesus asked the father. Now here comes the, they bring the boy. And the demon seeing Jesus, you know, he's, he's, this is his Waterloo, so to speak. He knows this is not going to go well. So he throws the boy on the ground, beats him up essentially. And then Jesus asks this question, which is really weird to the father. How long has this been going on? It's like, okay, if it's over five years, I'm sorry, I cannot help you. <laughs> this is a warranty deal, right? <laughs> if it's more than five, I'm, if it would be three, I could deal with this. He wouldn't be as entrenched, right? It just seems so odd, doesn't it? Yeah. Why would you ask that question? Because Jesus cares about that father. That father unfolds for him. But this has been going on from his very youth, from the very much of a child, he says. And you know what's happening here? Not only for Je Jesus knows all of this. This isn't for him. It's literally what? For those people to understand and for that father to bear his heart. For Jesus to share, to, to allow him to see the compassion that was, rises up within him. And maybe for the disciples to see how serious this really is, that the argument they were involved with the scribes means nothing compared to this young man. That his father has literally saved him from fires, from drownings, because this demon has tried to repeatedly kill him. Jesus didn't need to know that, but he needed the father to know that he cared about what he knew. Isn't that exactly how it is with us? Jesus is walking this treadmill of life, if you will. I don't mean to make it so monotonous, but there's times when you just, you're taking steps not even knowing where it goes. God is right there with you. Praise God that he's with me. That journey sometimes is very difficult. And even sometimes he picks you up and carries you when you have no strength whatsoever. You ever been there? You have about every day sometimes, isn't it? This journey is getting tougher. Our faith needs to grow more. That's what this is about. Jesus is literally saying, you know what? My plan, it continues to unfold, continues to unfold. What are you going to do when I'm gone? Well, how are you guys going to handle the situation when I'm gone? Isn't that good? For Jesus to care enough? I just deal with it. It's up to you. It's your game. No. Not at all. So the father describes even more fluidly. Verse, the latter part of verse 21, he said, of a child, and oftentimes, oftentimes, and hath cast him into the fire. You know, they would have cooked with an open fire. There would have been lots of those situations where we have a lot more control. You know, how would, ladies, how would you like to have the open campfire every day for every meal of every day of the year? Turn that on low, would you please? <laughs> right? And it's kind of fun if you go out camping, right, or you have a little bonfire or something like that. 
Think of that being your life. And this boy would have been subject to that demon's wanting to destroy him. In fact, that's the word that's used. And into the waters and to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You know, you're really struggling here, aren't you? I really think, this, by the way, what does this man know about Jesus Christ? We're not told a lot, but probably not a lot. He certainly hasn't traveled around with him for two and a half years, right? And yet it's his faith that Jesus relies on to heal this boy, to cast that demon out. The disciples have kind of just sat back. And Jesus responds this way. Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. That verse is amazingly powerful. Now, again, it's, it's, it's still under the foundation of, is this in God's will? That's why we pray. The more we pray, we know that we're understanding and getting inside the will of God. That's the purpose of prayer, is for us to get aligned with God's will. Not to try to thwart God's will or his purposes, but to literally align ourselves. God, what are you doing here? That's a lot of my questions. And for this week, in the middle of the night, I'd say, God, where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? How do I fit into your plans? What is it that you really want me to do? And then I love this. This faith, which isn't large, it's not large at all. After that, Jesus saying, if you, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. The power of faith. And right away, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You ever cry, have, you, have you ever cr- prayed that way? That's a perfect place to be with your little mustard seed of faith. Because you know what? God will grow that. God will grow that. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, which even was probably another level of this spirit's inundation is the fact that it was probably uh, a very, um, what should I say, uh, profane and foul words that would have come out of this young man's life. The, uh, mouth anyway, but saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and enter no more into him. Now, did you see that? Whose faith allowed Jesus to act? The Father's. The Father's. Well, how Would you call that massive faith? Would you call it a great faith? Would you call it perfect faith? Would you call it amazing faith? Would you call it... No, what would you call it? Sufficient faith. It was just small. Just small. Let's take a look at, let's hold your place here. Let's go to Matthew chapter 17 for a moment. We've talked about it, but let's, let's just read. It's a little bit shorter version. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14 as well. We started in 14 in Mark chapter 9, but let's go to Matthew 17, verse 14. And it says, when they were come to the multitude, coming off the mountain, are you all there? Matthew 17, 14. There came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. Okay, and that is, in, in that day and age, a, a, an epileptic. Or they would, there was a word that we would have called moonstruck. Where do you think we got lunatic from? Lunar, lunatic. Okay? He, and he doesn't know ultimately what's all involved there. And is sore vexed, for oftentimes he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. I brought him to thy disciples. They could not cure him. 
Jesus answers, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil. He departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart. Why could not we cast him out? Now, there's something else that, you know, here's, here's the question that we would ask. How did you do that? To Jesus. They didn't ask that question. They knew he could do it. They asked, how come we couldn't do it? Now, again, keeping in mind that they were actually sent out two by two to cast out demons and to heal people, and they came back with great victory stories. Why couldn't we do this? It's a great question, isn't it? Now, they did it privately. They had actually entered into a home. And it's kind of like, this, again, these, these, these quiet moments of teaching. I mean, it, it's got to be looming. And it's almost like those disciples are going to be dragging me. You know, here's boy, we look really bad there. That was unbelievable. Jesus says, get out of rebuke. He's gone. And here we are. You know, and who knows how long they've been there? We don't know. A long time, probably, because they're engaging now in a strife between the scribes. And... So they get in the house. Um, we were just thinking all day. Um, so uh, um, I don't know. Um, how come we couldn't cast that demon out? <laughs> Thanks for asking. And Jesus said, prayer and fasting. Now, some of the manuscripts do not have and fasting, but it fits together nicely. What do you, if you're really, if you're fasting, what are you really, you're focused, aren't you? You're focused without eating. You're focused on Jesus Christ. You're focused on what God wants for you. You are praying in, intensely so that food really doesn't mean anything to you. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. He didn't eat anything. What do you think he was doing? Praying. He was preparing. See, praying is preparing. You know what those nine disciples probably were not doing? They were not preparing. So it means they were not praying. In the last week, how much have you been, I'm going to use the word preparing as opposed to praying. How much time have you spent preparing your life, preparing your heart, preparing your direction for what will come at you? I'm going to say from this example, Jesus is literally saying, you weren't prepared. You weren't praying enough. That's what I love about Jesus. He was praying all the time. All the time. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, potentially Mount Hermon. They're praying. He's praying all the time. Now, praying, it, there's something about that, there's a, and there is a sense of reverence to it. It's when we make God number one. But you can do that walking, talking, breathing. We were at a bowl sale, and we made God important that day. I was very important to me that the genetics that we were providing, that I wanted the buyers that God brought there, I wanted them to have only the ones that were good for them. That was worth me praying about. There's a good share of those folks that probably didn't think that was necessary, but it doesn't matter. It is to me, and it is to God. And you see, that's a preparation for us before God. They were caught flat-footed. Here comes this demoniac. They weren't prepared. You've got a mountain in your life, and you know Jesus said you could move a mountain with, this, with a seed of a mustard seed. 
And sometimes we take that and, well, we just need to grow our faith. We need to grow our faith. I mean, we just have to have, I just got to believe. I've, I've told you the story before, maybe, 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 well, some of you have no doubt heard it, but there's a gentleman, he's actually passed away now, but he, was, he had cancer, and I knew him fairly well. He was not from this area, but came here in the summer times. And uh, I was just saying, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to pray for you. And he responded, I just have to have faith. Doesn't that sound good? Sounds really good, doesn't it? Faith. And I said, say that again, please. I, I just have to have faith. I said, faith in what? I just have, to, just, just have to be strong. I have to have faith. You know what he's really saying? I have to have faith in my faith. Because it was his faith that was the important part. That's not enough. Because faith is only as strong as the object in which it's placed. Or its validity. Correct? So many people have a lot of faith in themselves. There's a lot of people that have faith in evolution because if they have faith in something that really didn't happen, it allows them not to have to think about how God put it all together. Because if they do know that there's a God, that they do know there's a creator, then they're responsible to that being. You see how this all fits? It's not just faith. It's where is your faith placed? And Jesus said it takes persistent prayer. Literally, was saying that. Persistent prayer. I was thinking, I was reading, and I, I, I just failed to get his name. Um, oh, good grief. George Mueller. George Mueller. He had, he, had a circle, he had a party of five friends that he prayed for their salvation. And after one year of praying, one of those friends was saved. The second friend was saved two years later. And I'm not going to remember the third and fourth, but I remember the last. He prayed for that man until he died, 52 years, 52 years. And then George Mueller died, and then the year after, that man came to know Christ. That, my friends, is persistent prayer. Where does that come from? From walking and talking with Jesus. Because the more you pray, guess what? The more you want to pray. The more you're in line with the Savior, the more you want to be closer. And the closer you get, the more you want to walk with the Savior. The less you walk, the less you're interested. The less you pray, the harder it is to pray. Isn't that true? And Jesus is saying, hey, disciples, listen up very carefully. You failed because you didn't pray. You weren't focused. In fact, you know what? A good chance of it. How come those three had got to go with Jesus up in the mountain? <laughs> They always get to do the good stuff, right? We kind of laugh, but isn't it easy? Isn't it easy to get ourselves so off base? And those nine, listen, listen carefully, just popped in my head. Those nine were there because there was an opportunity for them to cast a demon out of a young boy's life. And they failed. You know why Jesus, I mean, you know why uh, Peter denied Jesus three times? Why did he fail? He wasn't prepared. When Jesus asked them to pray at the garden, what do you think it was about? Lest you enter into what? Temptation. Isn't that, that is an antidote to handling temptation properly. Take temptation and turn it into just a trial. That's how faith grows is through trials. It takes more strength. If you, have, if you had the same little test, let's say, you're, let's say you're lifting weights. Well, obviously you don't start with 300 pounds. 
I don't, I don't think anyway, right? I mean, maybe for some of that's a little, but for me, that'd be too much. I, couldn't, I wouldn't lift anything, right? It would just like, oh, I'm discouraged. I'm war. I can't do this. And see, that's why God never has you start with a massive amount. He doesn't, he doesn't take your faith and expect it to literally do things that you couldn't possibly even imagine doing. No, he's okay with that. He starts you with a small amount. What are you going to lift? I bet everybody can lift 10 pounds. You guys are really not helping me today. <laughs> but, you know, you start doing reps with 10, and pretty soon, you know what, that, that's getting easier, isn't it? Let's go to 20, and you start doing that, and, you know, it just keeps working its way up. That's exactly how your faith is growing. I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, one of the tests of faith for me in Miles City in that massive drought in 1988, and we had no money to pay a lease that we had tied into after prayer, after prayer. But you know what? Our faith was stretched because I said to my dad, I, I will never forget it. I said, Dad, we trusted God. We prayed about this, and that has happened. Now I'm going, we need to trust him to provide for what it is we need to fulfill this obligation. Now you know what I said that on? Not because I knew. It was on faith. And you know what happened to my faith next time? After, and I, I'm honest. Here I am. It's probably 40 years later. I have still no idea where those funds came from. But they did. They did. You know what that did to me? God got bigger. My faith grew just a little bit more. Just grew a little bit more. In the last, I'm going to say the last four or five years of my life, there's been plenty of trials. But you know what it does? It stretches my faith. It makes that faith just a little bit bigger. And it doesn't take a lot. That's the key. It's not the amount of faith to move difficulties. It's the access that's through prayer. Hit your knees a lot. And that doesn't mean, you know, you don't have to bow down, but it's, it's really good in the middle of the night, though. It really, really is where I want to be. I want to be on my knees before my God. But I can pray in the tractor. I can pray in the truck. Amen. In the car. Pulling a calf. <laughs> Which Logan got to do today. Set of backward twins. Didn't end well. But, but what my point is, is life goes on, and you know what? We can take Jesus with us, or we don't have to. You know when our faith grows? When we take Jesus with us. That father, what do you think his faith was like the next day? That was growing. And, and, and what a perfect place. By the way, even if you, and see, that's the really cool thing. When you have a lot of faith, when Job, he never, he never uh, claimed to have a, hey, I've been in this game a long time. I have got a boatload of faith. Noah, Noah could have used that and even thrown the pun in there, right? I got a boatload. I got an ark full of faith. Do you know what? None of those people that have this is This is really important because this is the next lesson we're going to learn next week. Jesus starts them on faith and he ends them in faith. And you know what he's going to step two? The lesson two is going to be about humility. I want, to, I want you to think right about who you are. And people that have a lot of faith never say they have a lot of faith. Their lives say they have a lot of faith. Isn't that great? Those are the people I want to be around. I want to see lives that show a lot of faith. Because they don't have to say it with words. Their lives speak volumes. Being around Job for a I mean, those seven, how many have friends do you have? How many have friends do you have? Three, four? Three. Three. Three jerks. <laughs> but give them credit. They came. They came. And they were going to tell Job what he'd done wrong. They sat there and it was good, wasn't it? Just their company. It was when they started to say something. When they started to cast stones at him, literally. 
were okay until he opened the That was when it got bad, wasn't it? It was one of the share. I want to share with you our knowledge of why you failed before God, right? That was when it all went south, or north, depending on where they were sitting. It was a horrible joke. At any rate, Job, he still, in all of that, had the right course. He had the right frame of mind. He was focused. He was focused. He was focused. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a, I mean, how many of you have lost all of your children, all of your family, other, you, you have your wife remaining, all of your wealth is gone, all of your livestock, everything that you make, that you've made your living about, and it's all literally gone in 24 hours, gone, wiped out. I know I'm not strong enough yet to just say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. I would have to go into wine mode for a moment or two. And you're the ones that are snickering, you would too. But that's okay. You know what? Job was twice the man after that test of faith that he was before. And you know what God really wanted to get? Was when those three guys, as you just said, when they opened their mouth and started speaking, the whole thing fell apart. But you know what happened to Job? He became a bit proud. You can find it. There was a bit of there's a resistance going on. I didn't do anything wrong. Absolutely. And God, I want you to tell me. Now, did you notice something? I, I've, one of the things for me, and I'm not saying it's for anyone else, but one of the questions I don't ask about trials is why. Why? Because if I ask why, it kind of paints me in a corner. I need to know before I can go on. It doesn't matter. Do you know this? Did you see what Jesus said? He said, when did this take place in his father? From a youth. There's no, nobody said why. It just happened. Just happened. And you know, Job did not get the why question answered. You go through that whole book of Job, there's not one time that it's unfolded. Why? But I am God. And Job got that message pretty clear, didn't he? In fact, he humbled himself, literally fell prostrate, and he said, you and you alone are God. There's a man that has humility now with faith. That is fantastic. These are lessons that Jesus now, he's got 10. I think there's 10. I'm not, and you're going to say, another nine of these? Well, next week we're going to take a break because we're going to talk about our Savior. We're going to talk about Resurrection Sunday. We're going to talk about the most powerful thing that's ever happened on planet Earth and in the universe. The thing that actually could wipe out the most deadly virus known to anyone, and it's called sin, which causes death. And Jesus conquered it. And we're going to celebrate that next week. We're going to celebrate it. But after that... We're going to come back and we're going to take the next lesson, the next seminar that Jesus is teaching. Isn't it cool? It's like you don't even have to buy this. You see, if you were a disciple, Jesus had you. You were part of the 12. You had walked two and a half years with this, your Savior, this Jesus Christ, this one you finally got right and called him Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God. And now you get to be in the next 10 seminars of my teaching you how to respond and how to live in my absence. But you know what? We can look right inside the manual and we can learn the same things that were available to those disciples. Aren't you excited? How did I sell it? Not well enough. <laughs> and it's interesting, though, the things that Jesus wanted to teach them are in no way popular in the world system. If you want to talk about how to be humble, how Jesus would have spoken to be humble, you know how many attend those from the world? Zero. It totally flies in the face of the other God that's roaming around this entire place. And I'm not talking about Satan. I'm talking about Satan's lie, self, the God of self. And there's about... There's a whole lot of billions of selfs running around 
that they're number one. They're number one. All of this entitlement, all of these things that literally pervasive in our entire country, you know what? It's, the thing that's behind it is every time the same thing, the God of self. There's wars being fought today because of self. Wealth, the pursuit of it, power. All of those things, the but self, self. Mr. Putin, he has self. That's who he's serving. I could go on, right? And it's not me to make that judge. I can just see his actions. His life is speaking of that. There's literally hundreds and millions of people today that are subject to the God of self that need to see Jesus. The Jesus that died on the cross, that paid for our sins, and then rose from the dead for our sins to break the penalty and the power of sin. I'm thinking about mountains to move. You know what? In the, in the walk of sanctification, that process, the day, after you get sa- the day you get saved, the day that you trust Jesus Christ, that gift of faith, to, un- to literally believe that Jesus is the only way for you to ultimately be saved. From that moment on, you're in a process of sanctification. Persistent prayer is absolutely key and vital to making that journey. It doesn't just happen that you focus on Jesus. You must make it a reality by persistent prayer. And the disciples, of course, here's the other thing. Somewhere along the line, they must have had to review all of these 10 seminars that we're going to go through because after Jesus rose from the dead is when it all started to make sense. Aren't we fortunate? Aren't we fortunate to know that the disciples, the gospels, all of the word of God speaks, and that is our anchor, our anchor for faith. The faith that Christians have is not blind faith. Our faith is secure by factual, previous, historical data that the disciples, in this case, really lived. So let's proceed in life, one step at a time, trusting Jesus. I want you to pray like you've never prayed this week. And let's just say that you prepare. Praying is preparing. Talking with God. Morning, noontime, evening, middle of the night. Whatever it is, all the time. Pray always. Isn't that 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18? Let's go there. What a great place to pray without ceasing. It's probably the way it says. One of the, sh- the shortest verses. How come I can't remember that? Jesus wept. That's the shortest. And then first, I think I'm right. It's 518. Okay, I was close. But 18 is a pretty good one to follow. Let's start with... here. Three verses. You guys got to home. You memorize these if you haven't. This sounds like a big homework. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. Ready? Let's say them together. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. And in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Right? Those three verses really should change our life, change our week. You should even want to pray more, right? Rejoice. Pray. Give thanksgiving, for that is the will of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for your concern. Thank you for Jesus. Father, there's so much, so much more that we don't know. One day, as we step into the presence of heaven, knowing all things. Knowing you for who you are. Seeing you for who you are. 
in all aspects, more than I can even comprehend in speaking. To see my Savior wearing the scars that it cost him for my sin. Father, humble us. Humble our hearts. Humble our minds. May we just soak in your will. May we soak in your love. Father, you are so awesome. We want to just rest in your arms. Thank you, Father, for all that you've accomplished in these moments. And we look even to the future, Father, as we think of rejoicing, praying without ceasing, giving thanksgiving, for this is the will of God. We rest here in Jesus' name. Amen.